This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hey everybody, the Hockey News Podcast is back. Matt Larkin here, back from my mini vacation with Ryan Kennedy and Ken Campbell reunited. And uh, as we record this puppy, we're preparing for Game 6 of the Sharks and Blues and very bad news uh, just minutes before we started recording. We now know Thomas Herdle not playing, Eric Carlson not playing, Joe Pavelski not playing. So I want to talk about all these guys, but uh, fellas, let's start with Joe Pavelski, okay? So Pavelski actually, I should be more specific, game time decision. Yes. Um, and I have a big problem with that personally. You guys know I'm a concussion guy, mm-hmm. literally. Like I have, I've had a lot of them. I know what the post-concussion syndrome is like. Joe Pavelski had a bad one. Uh, caused by Cody Eakin in the Vegas series, bloodied and missed multiple games, comes back, gets hit by Alex Pietrangelo. They didn't confirm whether it was concussion again, but we saw the footage. He was very wobbly after, and now he's game-time decision. So I want to start by saying, should Joe Pavelski have even been in this game? I personally think it was a bad thing that he was even playing at all, Uh, but start with that and tell me what you think. Well, I I don't know enough about, and I don't profess to know enough about the treatment and what he did and how he felt. All I know is that he went 15 games without playing or 15 days without playing between the time that he got the first concussion and the time he started playing in the Colorado series, 15 days. I think that's enough. I assume that's enough. I think for some people it's enough for others. It isn't. I I think part of the problem is, and, and you know a lot more about this than I do because of your personal experience, Matt, but like from what I've been told, everything I've been told is is concussions are like snowflakes. There are no two that are the same. You might one guy might get a concussion and be ready to play in three days. Another guy might get a concussion and not be ready to play for six months or ever. Um, so I I've got to think that the San Jose Sharks were looking at the long game here and did everything right. I'm going to make that assumption. I, I'm going to assume that they did that. That they, that they gave him the requisite time that he needed to rest and that he was cleared to play and that he was good to go when he when he went back. And and I don't see any reason why it wouldn't have been that way. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Joe Pavelski is a, is, is a pending UFA. I don't think Joe Pavelski is going to say, well, i got to get back into the lineup so I can prove my worth or whatever, right? Like, he, he knows he's, he's got to, you know, he's got to keep himself healthy for another contract, right? So um, I, I just, I, I think... I think that, uh, you know, like I said, these are NHL teams. They have very good doctors. I, I got to think they did the right thing here. And it's just an unfortunate thing that he took another shot to the head. And, you know, I mean, Pietrangelo got that elbow up. There's no question in my mind. I think it was, bit, it was sort of unlucky because they were <clears throat> glanced off the ref as well. But it, Yeah. yeah. I, I thought he got the elbow up myself. But. Yeah. My, my worry is not so much the first layoff, but the, the game time decision for Game 6. And, and Ken, you make a very good point about you know, the, the doctors they do have. And concussions are a little more amorphous than you know, having a sprained ankle or uh, you know, a broken pinky or something like that where you can clearly define it. But my worry, and this goes for all NHL players, pretty much all high-level hockey players, is that they almost always think they can go. 
Right. They're they're good enough to make that contribution. And they don't, and for ca- me, and they don't care sometimes. They, they don't, don't care. care. For Pavelski, there's a Stanley Cup. They don't Cup care if they have a yeah. concussion. And, we, right? and you know what? And, you know, the culture lionizes it from Bobby Bond to Gregory Campbell. You yeah. know, guys yeah. finishing shifts or games with literally, like, broken legs and things like that. And, I mean, admittedly, it, it does sound like a superhero. And it does make for great copy. But for me, just from a pragmatic, competitive standpoint... If you're not 100% in a playoff game, why are you in the lineup? I know everybody's banged up, but if you have a specific malady, somebody else can do the job better, especially yeah, if it's a head injury. Yeah, but you want... I know you, you want to. You'd rather to. have a 60% Joe Pavelski than a 100% whoever their first first guy, the next guy up is. Maybe, but if you can't do your job 100%, yeah. and, if, and especially when it comes to... Uh, you know, like a concussion where it could affect your vision, it could affect your decision making, your timing. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's just you actually, I, I think you're hurting your team because you aren't the exact player that you are professing to be in that right. very moment. And I get what you're saying where, you know, a black ace is not Joe Pavelski, but at least if you had a black ace in the lineup, they wouldn't be specifically in Pavelski's spot. You'd move somebody else yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And that black ace would be tasked with forechecking hard, you know, maybe, you know, killing a penalty, but really just, you know, being an energy guy, whereas you would bring somebody else up in the lineup to be that more two-way guy who can score. It's just, for me, it, it sets everything out of whack in your group, and the player himself is never going to say, eh, I feel a little off, maybe I shouldn't play. Yeah, they captain. want it too bad. Yeah, yeah exactly, especially See, with Joe Pavelski. I mean, he's Mr. Character. See, what I find troubling here is... is I mean, we don't know what this is. So we don't know that it's a concussion. And we'll never, we'll probably never find out because they're not going to be saying it now. But if it is one, why would he be a game time decision? If he's concussed, Mm. he's concussed. He's not going to be ready in, he's not going to be any better five hours later, right? And when it comes to a brain, if if there's even a question, if if there needs to be a decision made, if there's any doubt in your head that you don't feel right in your brain, to me the idea of him playing is very icky. And I know it's it hasn't been officially confirmed that it was concussion, but I mean we saw the footage. He he was Bambi. Out it there. was he concussion-esque. Was, he was wobbly. <laughs> like that's that's the exact type of behavior a concussion spotter would go for. And big picture, a problem that I have is I agree with you both. And you know, Ryan, you used the word amorphous. Ken Snowflake. I think they both apply. They both mean the same thing in this case. Um, we don't know much about concussions, but what's always bothered me about the game is when we know so little, why do we err on the side of, eh, we should err on the side of caution. If we know so right. little about the long-term effects, then it, then it yeah. shouldn't be, yeah. well, because we don't know that he's not okay, okay, we, we may as well, like there's no signs that he's still hurt. I guess we can we can take the chance and put him back in there. How about we go the other way and say, because we know so little, what if there's a mandatory rule that if you suffer a concussion, you must miss a minimum of 10 NHL games, something like that, just to give you that extra mm. time because second impact s- syndrome is a major problem. It's what cost Sidney Crosby about a year and a half of his career. And what's kind of creepy, uh, you'll see a story coming up from me. Uh, I spoke to this inventor, Ryan Moore, who had some very harrowing concussion experiences. He's invented uh, a new way to treat concussions, patent pending. So there's a story coming up. But when I was talking to Ryan, we had a conversation. This was just last week. And he said, I can't believe Joe Pavelski is back in after the Eakin hit. He said he shouldn't eat, like he was unconscious, bleeding, just completely out. The fact that he's still playing right now is so scary. And then what happens the very next day? He gets hit again because he was probably back in too early. But if there was some kind of mandatory rule, again, maybe it's 20 games. When it comes to brains, you're better off being overly safe than, I think, 
playing it too lackadaisical. Yeah. Mm. And I think one thing that I, I would bring up, and this goes to you know the fighting debate as well, is I, I think at this point, there's enough information out there for current players where they're making these decisions. And uh, if we want to be more safe, Matt, then you're totally right about going 10, 20 games. It, it's hard to imagine the players ever agreeing to that, even if it's in their own best interest, because they want to be out there. They And, and I think at this point, they understand the risks, but... It, it has to be a decision made for them. But yes. to me, yeah, and to me, then then you then you, if that's the case, then don't come back twenty years after your career's over and sue the league. Totally, you know what I mean? Like, well, if that, that's and then the they case, wouldn't, right? If, if they yeah, had a rule yeah, like that in yeah, place, exactly. then the next yeah, generation yeah, yeah. would yeah. say, okay, well, we were properly protected because yeah. we were given all these extra games, even though we felt fine, just to make sure. Yeah. Something yeah. to consider. Um, sticking with the Sharks. Okay, so we know for a fact at this time that Eric Carlson's not playing. Uh, he missed 29 games in the regular season. A groin problem. And, of course, dating back a couple years ago, had half the left ankle, the bone removed. Uh, and he's coming up on his UFA year. And most speculation suggests he's going to ask for something along the lines of what Drew Doughty got, which is an $11 million cap hit. If it's open market, that's seven years, 77. If he stays with the Sharks, it's eight years, 88. Uh, and that, and you know, two Norris trophies for Carlson, production yeah. and minutes, everything pretty similar to Doughty, aside from the Stanley Cups, of course. Uh, but now I'm wondering, uh, at what point does Carlson start to hurt his value and his dollar figure because of the durability concerns? He's going to be 29 at the end of May. Do you think that suddenly there's going to be a million dollars shaved off that AAV, or do you think he's still going to get paid? It, to me, it's not the dollar figure you worry about here. It's the term. It's the term. Yeah. It's the term. That's it. It's the term. I would be very, very skittish about signing Eric Carlson to a seven or eight year deal mm-hmm. like that. To me, like you don't mind, you don't mind paying him eight to ten or maybe even eleven million dollars. It's the term that's that's going to kill you on this one. I wouldn't go more than five. Yeah, because worst yeah. case scenario, you work out something with Seattle in a couple of years to get it off your books. Yeah, if, but, yeah, but you can't you can't do that. He's going to ask for a no move. And you get, you're going to have to protect him. So mm-hmm. yeah. that, that I don't think that's going to be an option. Yeah, I guess. I, I, you know, I really do think if it if it hurts him, it's going to be on term. It's not going to be on money. It, well, ultimately, that is money because yeah, he's not sure. getting those years. But players, but, everyone but wants it's, term. But it's yeah. term. It's, it's insurance term. for yeah. the team that yeah. takes him and says, we like you with both ankles. Uh, we're still pretty happy with one and a half ankles. But I think if you look at his season as a whole, it was very up and down. And, I mean, he's still Eric Carlson. The upside is still definitely there. If he's, if he's healthy. Yeah. If he's healthy. But it is that big if. And I think five years at, like, nine, it's going to sound like you're underpaying. But I think if you're going to be realistic, because, um, I mean, that, that Dowdy contract is already looking like, man... I mean, Dowdy's still good, but is he $11 million for the foreseeable future good? Like, when is that deal going to start looking bad? Or you sign him. Or you sign him with the full realization you're only getting 50 games a year out of him. Right. And and, and you don't mind that. Like, to me, it's almost like he's become the the next, the second coming of Peter Forsberg. And and of Jenny Malkin. What's that? And of Jenny Malkin. Right. You know you're going to get, right, and miss 13 games a year or whatever. No, but I mean, with Forsberg, in the last... However, many years of, the, of his career, mm. you literally did not know from one game to the next whether he was going to be playing, yeah, whether yeah. he was going to be healthy. You you could never, ever actually count on him being in the lineup, yeah. And that right. that's almost I, that might be where this is headed. 
You know, it could be it. I actually predict that Carlson is still going to get term and the big money um, because oh, yeah. of the market. OK, so sure. if you look at who's out there, it's an awesome free agent class for forwards. But for defensemen, it's pretty weak. You, at the top, you've got Carlson and then it drops from Carlson to Jake Gardner and Tyler Myers. That's mm. how big of a gap it is. And after them, it's like it's a huge gap. So uh, the demand, especially right handed shots right now, this, the, the balance in the league is still about 60 percent lefty, 40 percent righty. So there's still that premium, just like left handed starting pitchers in baseball. So it's really Carlson and Tyler Myers. Tyler Myers is going to make a lot of money, uh, whether he deserves it or not, for the same reason. And I think that someone is going to give Carlson term just because that's going to be the winning bid. Mm. So I, I suspect he's still going to get at least seven years if he wants it. Uh, and what's interesting is that in our, our upcoming issue, which is the free agent issue, which is should be hitting newsstands any day now. Uh, and if you're watching on video, I've got it right here. Okay. Uh, I crunched the numbers to see if Carlson's play really was declining because that was the narrative this year. Um, you know, the goal totals down and, and there was, you know, visually he didn't look like himself. He didn't look as swift and there was the uneven season. That was a perception. But I went kind of under the hood looking at all the analytical numbers. And what was fascinating to me was that other than the fact that he uh, post ankle surgery was rushing the puck a little bit less. All those under the hood numbers are just as good as they ever were, even at his peak in Ottawa, right. suggesting that his overall impact on the flow of the puck in the game hasn't changed. Just feels like it, and obviously he's not on the ice. Yeah, right, exactly. But, but if yeah. you can't play, you, <laughs> yes. can't, have, you can't have a positive Your effect. Your currency on is zero. Yeah. Yes, that, that yeah. which is fair. It's more the narrative that that when he is playing, he's not as good. I, I don't think is true. Right. Uh, and even the goal total, his shooting percentage was unnaturally low this year, so that should regress to the mean positively right. uh, in the future. So I, I think when he's on the you're still going to get that really good Eric Carlson for several more seasons. Mm. Obviously, massive risk. I think the market, whether he deserves it or not, is still going to give him the deal he wants. Right. Uh, so the Bruins are just sitting around. They're waiting for the Stanley Cup to start as of now. Uh, does it feel to you guys like they are the team to beat? And do they have the inside track on San Jose or St. Louis, regardless of who advances? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I wish I could remember where I said it. Because at some point, I had one radio hit where I was like, it's going to be like a Boston-St. Louis final. And all the other times, I said Tampa Bay. So I'm not going to pat myself on the back. But at one point, I said Boston. But I think the key now is that... They do have all this rest. And, I mean, Ken, we've talked about it so many times where the Stanley Cup is a war of attrition, yeah. where the longer you go, the more banged up you get. The Bruins have this amazing week off at the perfect time. They're actually holding a scrimmage for their fans this week where they're yeah. going to actually, like, go at it with each other. It'll be like a black and gold game. And I think that's brilliant because, you know, that way they can keep that edge. But you look at this group and everything is going according to plan right now, where Tuka Rask is an A1 goaltender. Not a 1A, A1. A1. Um, You know, all the experience that they've accrued over the years is paying off. Guys are stepping up. You know, Zdeno Chara out of the lineup. No problem. We'll just, you know, have Connor Clifton having an excellent game. Um, You know, Sean Corrali has been excellent for them since he came back in the first round. Huge catalyst. Huge catalyst with size and speed. And, of course, you know, you, you go to the very top, Brad Marchand, I'm going to say now he's not going to win the Conn Smythe because of the way that he treated the media, and make, because the media <laughs> alone votes on that. I don't have a vote. Yeah, I still think but, it's too. I, I, even on I think America, it's Rask either way. It's probably Rask either yeah, way, but you 
Tiebreaker goes to yeah, the, goes the to nice the guy. Good, to the good guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Marshan has been amazing. Outstanding. Tori so, Krug has been a beast. Oh, has huge. Been a beast. He's he been has been outstanding. a big eye opener. Yeah. Yes. And so you look at that, it's like, well, what else do they need? It's like they kind of have it all, and they're a smart team. Yeah. And they're going to be facing somebody that's banged up and a little, at least more tired than they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm an NHL team, I will take the rest 100 times out of 100 Mm -hmm. i'll take the rest over and 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 risk being rusty for the first period of the next series anytime at this time of the year and i think that's going to be a huge factor for the bruins um and and i think you know i mean they're notwithstanding the fact that they're the they're the best team left yeah they're the best team left Mm -hmm. by a, a considerable margin in my opinion um Tuka Rask is is completely dialed in. He's he's he doesn't even have to play as well as he's playing. He just has to play okay, but he's playing amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, he's giving yeah. them that kind of goaltending that even if they were getting outshot by fourteen shots a game, they'd still win. Um, so I, I I just I don't see anybody stopping them. And no matter who either they play, teams, whether teams. it's San Jose or St. Louis, it's going to be a physical series. Right? Yep. And that benefits yep. them as yep. the rested team. Yep. And I, I see a distinct advantage, two different ones over each team for Boston too. So let's say San Jose, they find a way to gut it through. Then Boston has a massive goaltending advantage over Martin Jones in the mm. series based yep. on Martin Jones' uneven playoffs. I would argue that for the most part, the Sharks have won in spite of him, not because of him. Uh, and if St. Louis gets through, maybe the goaltending is more even with Bennington there. But I think firepower, Boston has the edge over what the Blues have been bringing. Like where San Jose could match Boston's offense, San Jose's yeah. really deep team, probably deeper than Boston even. Uh, but So I just see one crucial edge that would put Boston in front either way. Uh, and also the Bruins' power play is I mean, 34% yeah, in the playoffs, yeah, just yeah. humming along. Yeah. So I, I think we're all in agreement there that they're well, and, and the, the fact and the fact that San Jose's got an elimination game and three of their best players aren't playing, you know, I mean, <laughs> tough sledding. I, I mean, that's that's that indicates to me that there's some gas. <laughs> they're running out of gas. Yeah, and they're uh, running on fumes. So yeah, when you're relying on, on like Joe Thornton to be the guy that's still got gas in the tank, yeah, yeah, mm. then it's yeah, it's a little scary. One other one other X factor is if they play St. Louis, it's the David Backus Bowl. That's a motivator for Boston to get him his ring. I I feel with teams that have won it recently, and I'll count the Bruins in that respect Uh because you still got players from that run. You need a you need a motivator. You need a totem of some sort. David Backus is that right. totem. And then if San Jose goes through, obviously it's the Joe Thornton Bowl, but also the Martin Jones Bowl. He oh. was a Bruin for like six ten minutes. minutes yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. How dare you flip me? Somebody out there has a Jones jersey where they're like, ah, I bought it, and then on eBay. And oh, then... you know you should have, you should have a Jones jersey that's like not finished, like John, and then it stops. It's it, like there's like, like a in the middle three. of getting it stitched. Yeah, there's like a three yeah. on the left side, yeah. but they didn't know if he'd be thirty or thirty-one, yeah. and then you got trade and they're like, ah, forget it. (laughs) All right, Ryan, let's do a little future watch. Tell us what prospects you have your eye on right now. Yeah, so there's not a lot of prospects still playing. Uh, We actually did a nice little video late last week that was X-Factors for the Memorial Cup. So I'm going to stay away from Memorial Cup, guys, and go to the National Junior A Championship, which just wrapped up. Uh, The Brooks Bandits won it, but... They played Prince George in the final, the Spruce Kings, and Prince George has a very nice 2019 draft prospect in defenseman Leighton Ahak. Uh, He's an Ohio State commit. He had three goals in six games at the Junior A Championship, but 
Offense is really not his specialty. He is a puck mover. Uh, he's a good mobile kid, six foot two, uh, has a nice frame to build on. But I've had him described to me as sort of a Chris Tanev type mm-hmm. by scouts. So he's very good defensively as well as having a little bit of offensive pop. You know, this is the type of kid that you're going to wait a couple of years uh, before he even gets a sniff at the pros, and that's fine. I see him as probably being like a second or third rounder. Um, but, you know, good for him and the Spruce Kings going all the way to the final and, and getting a little more exposure for him. So it'll be fun to see what uh, what he does there. As for drafted prospects, um, I'll head over to the Calder Cup. The AHL is uh, is now in the semifinal. The San Diego Gulls uh, are taking on the Chicago Wolves in the West. And uh, Sam Steele, the Anaheim Ducks first rounder, 12 points in 12 playoff games for the Gulls so far. He's been very good. And, you know, this is a player who's really right on the cusp where we know he has the talent. He got a little bit of experience with Anaheim this season, and I think that helped sending him, you know, to the AHL where he could get some more minutes, get some more reps. And based on where Anaheim is in their rebuild right now, there's going to be opportunities for young guys like Steele, like Maxime Comptois, who's also having a nice playoff run, Um like Troy Terry, you know, another good young player they have. But I think Sam Steele, he's getting some really good time in these playoffs, and that will really help him next year. For sure. And the thing with Steele, I feel like his spot on the depth chart is almost guaranteed because of the status of Ryan Kessler, whose oh. career might be over. They're very serious hip problems. Well, it's not. Uh, he, they've already said he's not playing next year. Yeah, yeah. so that's going to yeah. open up the so spot. So that leaves the spot right there. Especially for Steele, the who's right a center. Right yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but I think <clears throat> the control was really good in limited action before he got hurt and then mm-hmm. went to the World Juniors. But he, he looked like he belonged right off the bat last yeah. year as well. So. And Comtois is the type of player where... Because he can do so many different things, like he doesn't need to be on your top line or even your second line. Like he can be a great contributor in a bottom six role if that's all you have for him. Obviously, the Ducks have a little more flexibility right now. Next up, a little talk about From the Magazine, the current one. I've probably shown it already, but if you haven't seen it, it's the free agency issue. A lot of good stuff in there, including uh, in our team previews, we actually call Carolina. We literally list them as a bunch of jerks, which I appreciate. That was great. That was awesome. Whoever came up yeah, with it that. It made it all the way to print. Awesome. Uh, but in there, uh, I have a story on what I like to refer to as the Loch Ness Monsters, uh, offer sheets. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been so much talk, offer sheet, oh my God, oh Mitch Marner. Oh. And I've, I've always had a theory that there's no way in hell that a marquee name like that is going to get an offer sheet. Hasn't been an offer sheet to any player in the past six years, and it was only a two-year deal or three-year deal. It was a short-term deal to Ryan O'Reilly. So I decided to dig in more and to find out if my theory really is true, that it's almost impossible for it to happen. Uh, and I sort of came away still feeling that way. Uh, one thing I did was crunch the numbers just to find out how difficult the draft pick compensation is because it's not as simple as looking at the number and saying, okay, are we willing to pay this much, whatever it is, you know, over $10.4 million, whatever the number is, and surrender four first-rounders. It's it's more complicated than that because even if you're trying to just get under it, when they're calculating a contract, they divide it by a different number. So the AAV, if you sign a guy seven years, $70 million, you divide that by seven, right? So it's $10 million a year. But for the, the sake of draft pick compensation, you divide that by five. So the cap hit becomes $14 million just for the compensation chart. So it's so much more difficult than people think just to spend the right amount of money to get under the four, four first rounder threshold. And what ends up happening is you actually have to spend so little because of that divide by five factor that the number you end up coming up with, the team will match easily or the player will say, well, that's way too little. Uh, and I, I did talk to 
Kevin Lowe and Dustin Penner about the barn fight situation. Uh, and another major factor, of course, in offer sheets is bad blood between GMs. And Kevin Lowe did say he was very candid about it. And he said, uh, I don't regret what I did. Brian Burke and I were good friends. And ultimately, I was most beholden to my fan base, not my friend. Uh, but what I said to Kevin was, at the same time, you know that that burned a bridge. And you have to be very careful. If you do it, then you could be damaging a relationship with another trade partner. So that's another strike. Uh, the other strike being, of course, that the player has to agree to do it. And I talked to Penner about that. He was a unique situation because there was a major discrepancy between his team's valuation of him and what the Oilers were willing to pay him. So in that case, the money was so much more, he almost had to go. But that doesn't happen very often when you get that type of situation. I could go on and on. but It's a pretty long list of why offer sheets are so rare. It's far more likely uh, for sort of a marginal guy where one team will just value a team differently than, than his current team, mm-hmm. so they're willing to pay a lot more money. Uh, but if you want to learn more about it, it gave me a migraine just doing all this math. Uh, but it was interesting in the end, so go check it out. Mm. Okay, Kenneth, it's time for the hot take of the week. Well, uh, last week, uh, San Jose Sharks coach Peter DeBoer said it was a ridiculous statement to say that the San Jose Sharks have been lucky in these playoffs. And you know what? I agree with him 100%. I agree with him 100%. You do not get to the conference final only by being lucky. You know, I mean, they scored four power play goals in four minutes. Lucky teams don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, the the, the, the Gabriel landis side, that's a call that 30 other teams in the NHL, including the Avalanche, would have made in the same situation. Anybody who's got a video coach worth his salt is going to see that. They're going to make that call at that time, and they're going to get that call because it was the right call. If you hate, Whether you like it, hate it, whatever, it was still the right call. And then in game three, the, the hand pass, um, you know, I mean, yeah, okay, they, they got the goal. But who's to say they wouldn't have scored five minutes later? You know, I mean, everybody talks about how in 1999, the Buffalo Sabres lost the Stanley Cup because Brett Hall was standing in the crease. No, they didn't. I mean, but, yeah. I mean that goal might have been called back, and it should have been called back. But Dallas might have scored thirty seconds after and that. And the series ended in anyway. six games. It, it wasn't in game six seven. Games. So <laughs> no, you don't get that far by being lucky. You get that far by being really good at, at the right time of year. And the Sharks are putting everything together. And really, the only one where you can really say that it was it was a luck based thing was the major penalty. Right against Vegas, where they where they actually scored four goals in four minutes. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, yeah, they were lucky. They were really lucky that Vegas couldn't kill a penalty to save their lives. They were really lucky that they scored an overtime, double overtime, shorthanded in Game Six of that series. They were really lucky that Vegas choked up a three-one lead. Yeah, I guess they were yeah. lucky about all that stuff. <laughs> I I think I agree with you for the most part. The only different way I would spin it is that every championship team has luck to go along with all the things right. they do well. I right. think you need it. So if you look back at just the history of champions, there's always there there have been some fortunate things that have happened for every one of those teams. Sure, of course. Yeah, but yeah. Cool story, bro, I guess. (laughs) Uh, Time for some mailbag questions. First one is from Playoff Marty, who, by the way, during the regular season, this guy goes by regular season Marty. I remember that, Marty. Wow. I pay attention to you. I see you, Marty. So will he he be off-season Marty soon? I believe he will. Does he do, like, World Championship Marty, World Junior Marty? No, that would be too irrelevant because the World Championship's irrelevant. Uh, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. uh, uh, I did. 
Um, so Playoff Marty asks, which player is most likely to be traded at the draft? I feel names like Tyler Johnson, P.K. Subban, Willie Nylander, and Phil Kessel coming up. Uh, most of those names I agree with. I, I don't think we're going to see Nylander go because no. Kyle Dubas made that sort of promise that he wants to at least give that core a shot. And he's... And he's- and he's killing ripping it up the world. Yes. tournament and he's that you up. hate. Yes. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, ah. my God. I didn't realize that was going to come back to bite me like 14 so seconds later. Jeez. Uh, but I'll lead off the answer here with I think Phil Kessel is the guy um, because Jim Rutherford is the perfect storm of extremely aggressive GM even when things are going well with this team. And now he, he knows he has to blow things up. And whether he's going to sort of retool and do a mini rebuild yeah. or whether he's going to keep a foot on the gas, either way, the Penguins have no cap space, so you're going to have to move a body. So even if Rutherford said, no, we're, we're going pedal to metal, we're going to contend, uh, it would probably require getting a defenseman. And doing that would probably mean sending Phil Kessel out. Uh, and that's why there, there have been some rumors of Kessel for P.K. Subban, as an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, Kessel is the most likely player, I think, to be traded this offseason just because we can always rely on Jim Rutherford to yeah. do something. And if Jenny Malkin is not going to be traded. He's I don't not. think no. so. He's not. He's not. No. I can tell you right now, that is not going to happen. So you're saying, is this is this like you you no-no? Or is this speculation? I, or are you saying know. like, wink, know. wink? No, yeah. I know no. Oh, Ken no-knows, everybody. <laughs> yeah. He no-knows. I'm going off the board on this one. I think it's Jacob Truba. That's I don't one. think that's off yeah. the board. Yeah, well, I'm off oh, yeah, the board. Off in, that in, board. Just oh, yes. in, the, okay. in, in right, as much right. as it wasn't one of the bunch of guys that playoff... Grandpa has to lift his glasses <laughs> up again. Playoff <laughs> Marty mentioned. Right, okay. Um, I, I think that, you know, I think it's, it's time for him to leave. It's obvious he's not going to stay. Um, he's got a year left. I think he's a lot more valuable to a team in terms of trade with a year left on his contract. Um, so I, I think he's the guy that's going to get dealt at the draft. Mm, I'm going to go off the board too. Kevin Shattenkirk with the New York Rangers has a no trade clause, but it's not airtight. You know, there's I think there's a limited list of teams. Uh, you know, the Rangers are in the midst of a rebuild, which is going very nicely so far. Uh, Adam Fox signed with them, a very coveted NCAA player who was. First Calgary, then Carolina. It finally found the team he felt like going to. I guess. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the thing about Shattenkirk is, you know, his contract goes for a couple more years, and his value is slipped, I would say. But the Rangers have several second-rounders, so if they needed to sweeten the pot in a deal to ditch that salary, they have the flexibility to do so. So I think that would be the case where – you know, they could get even stronger for the future making a deal for Shattenkirk where even if it's not the most appealing contract for another team, I think a deal could be swung where both parties would be pretty happy. Interesting. And I'm, I'm thinking because, of course, Shattenkirk, that's a hometown contract that he signed, so that sort of decreases the odds of him wanting to leave, I think, unless he just crossed the old Hudson River to a team that Ooh. could use a defenseman, maybe a mentor for a Ty mm, Smith uh, in New Jersey, and have, that has tons of cap space available as well. Uh, or even the Islanders, too. The Islanders, depending on which guys they re-sign, they might also have a ton of cap space. I, I think there's some guys, too, that like their attitude, and I don't know what his thinking is, but there's some guys that, like, I don't want to be at a party where they don't want me. Right. You know? Like, right. if you if you don't yes. want me, if you really don't want me, then yeah. then let's make something happen here. Let's yes. move. 
That's why I've always said that like, whenever I talk about a trade candidate or whatever on Twitter and someone says, no trade clause, I'm always like, and eh, no trade, schmo trade. Yeah. Because, and that, that's well, what no trade Scott means Hart- control trade. Yeah, control yeah. trade. That's what it means. But Scott yeah. Hartnell was an example I always think of where he he was fine to go to Columbus because he said, well, I'm not wanted here. So when, when they traded him from Philly to Columbus. Right, right. right. Uh, so that exact thing happened. I, yeah, I'm yeah, with yeah. you all the way. No there. trade just means not Edmonton. <laughs> Edmonton burn. <laughs> uh, next question is from Al, or is it is it AI? I think it's Al. The robots are coming. Yeah. Al, <laughs> I should read the question in a robot voice just in case it's AI. <laughs> How long before Patrick Wong loses his mind if he comes to Ottawa? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably pretty quick. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I think he's probably already losing his mind that people are mentioning him. <laughs> I, although I will say. Melnick oh, that'd Woo! be fun. That would be, a, that would be a stew, wouldn't it? I will say, though, that Patrick Waugh would be a pretty good fit for the Senators right because they you have so much good young talent, yep. and he's so good at harnessing young players. And he's a good coach. He's a good coach. He's a damn good coach. Do we yeah. know that he's a good NHL coach, though? Like, the, he had one really good year with Colorado that was known as, like, one of the flukiest seasons of all time. Yes. Like, their analytics were t- terrible, and then they bombed the next year. Yes. But you still think he's a good NHL coach? I think I think he deserves another shot with a better roster. Not that the Senators are a better roster than those Colorado Avalanche were. But if you gave him time to grow with that lineup, then it's like, well, what's a Patrick Waugh team with a Thomas Shabbat in his prime, a Brady yeah. Kachuk in his prime, you know, Logan Brown. Colin White. Colin Drake, Drake White. Drake Batherson. Brandstrom. Yeah. Brandstrom, yeah. Like so many, like there's so many young elements yeah, yeah. there yeah. that if you came up together, that could be kind of intriguing. But yeah, Waugh and Melnick, I don't know. I think it would be awesome. Actually, yeah. I think it would be awesome. Because you would and hear I'm not it from sure, both I'm not barrels. Sure, I'm not sure that that wouldn't be part of the grand plan. Mm. Is like Bond Cop, Bad Cop. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like Patrick yeah. is the, Patrick Waugh is the guy that represents the, the fans and yeah, I can't work with this guy. And, oh, yeah, it, it would steal. It would steal attention away from yeah. Melnick in a good yeah. way. From Melnick's yeah, sake, exactly. it's almost like a Vince McMahon like world wrestling thing where Melnick could be like, "Yeah, I'm the bad guy, but you're coming to the arena, so I'm happy because yeah. I'm making money finally." Yeah. Interesting. I, I am sort of excited like down the road, but I think Ottawa does have quite a nice roster of, of prospects now. It's just oh, a matter absolutely. of, yeah. Do you, yeah. it, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, but it's a matter of you can't just have nothing but kids. You have to have some blend of veterans to help mentor those kids along yeah. right otherwise right. you can get that losing Jason culture Spencer. yeah oh yeah maybe. oh yeah oh yeah yeah i think that's i think definitely think that's a possibility Oof. that would be yeah because i mean right now colin white's our number one center wow right he is yeah he is that's why and so so you do need in that vein like you bring him back he pr- he provides that sort of mentorship it's a, it's a great story it's Sure. Yeah, I'm sure he'd be happy to be back. He'd probably no be reinvigorated. Yeah. On the other hand, then, you know, in eight months, we're like, okay, but Jason Spence is your number one center. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, then they can, they can help them tank for the number one pick next there year. There you go. Colorado doesn't Laugh. have next year's number one pick, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Just, Not one yet. Yeah, yeah, just that one, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. So we'll f- somehow find out that Patrick Waugh's rights were actually still owned by Colorado, and they have to, like... You know, <laughs> Ottawa, Ottawa has to give up their first oh rounders. Like, ah, oh, we didn't know. Oh, this is terrible. One of my favorite things ever to happen to me on Twitter involved Jason Spezza, and it was right before Ottawa traded him to Dallas. And I wrote like a story on like trade destinations for Jason Spezza because he'd requested a trade, and his mom retweeted it. Nice, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. Yeah, 
Cool story, bro. Kind of actual cool story, that bro. That is actually yeah, yeah, cool story. Decent story, yeah, bro. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Okay, we're going to finish it off with Vili Penanen. And Vili says, if the Bruins can't go all the way this time, should Don Sweeney think of some sort of reboot, minor changes, or hard boot? Hard boot. Interesting word, Vili. Mm-hmm. Making some really radical off-season moves of the core. Uh, personally, I, I don't think we should expect much to change on a drastic level in Boston. A, because you had a great year and you're in the Stanley Cup final. But also, uh, cap-wise, yeah. Boston's got Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo, restricted free agents. And they only have, I checked today, I think it's about $14 million. Right. And yeah. those two right. could, could eat up all of that. Yep. So it uh, doesn't mean Boston's going to do nothing, but I don't think an overhaul is in order. No, not at all. I think they're in that they're in a nice sweet spot where their veterans are still good and they still have kids coming up. Even though Jacob Forsback of Carlson is actually going back to Sweden to play for Vaxio next year. That was just announced today. But they still have those young kids coming up that will be getting better. Like McAvoy's somehow going to get even better than he is now. Yeah. I mean, that's just a fact. Like he's already amazing and he's going to get even better. Uh, I even think, you know, like like Brandon Carlo has been really good for them and and he's going to be more more of that Chara, you know, reach guy defensive defenseman that they're going to need once Chara retires whenever that will why be. Why would you why just my question is why would you change this team? Yeah, I think what, they're what, what sitting part pretty. Of it would you change? I mean, I mean, yeah, David Back is making 6 million dollars isn't great. That's not great. Maybe, uh, depth, right. I think I, they could yeah, use another yeah. depth forward, yeah. like like but, a Kevin Hayes if they could afford him, like yeah, a local yeah, boy. Yeah, but I mean, and, you talk yeah. about depth. I mean, this is a team that has depth yeah. at pretty well every position. And all you can ask for is to get your team to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. Once once yeah. you're there, anything can happen. You never know, you know, how momentum's going to swing, things like that. If you're Don Sweeney, you have gone above and beyond. Yeah. You got your team to the final, you give them a chance to win, that's all you can ask for. And until they prove otherwise, you've still got the best first line in the world. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right? That's right. Okay, everybody, that's it for this week. And stay tuned. The next time you hear us, we will be in Boston at the Stanley Cup final. So uh, stay Wicked tuned. Awesome. Wicked awesome. <laughs> Wicked awesome. How's that? Good? No? No? I don't know. <laughs> See you later. <laughs>